You're listening to Jet Nation Radio, the official podcast of JetNation.com. The largest independent fan site in the NFL. Be sure to check out our forums and talk all things Jets with thousands of other diehard Jets fans. Now, to get you up to date on all the latest Jets news, notes, and quotes, here are your hosts, Dylan Terriman and Alex Barallo. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another episode of Jet Nation Radio. This is your host, Alex Barallo, joined by Dylan Terriman. Dylan, how are we doing, buddy? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Not sure if you can smell it over by you, but I smell something, and it smells like a breakout game for Zach Wilson. Ooh, I like that kind of talk. Uh, Yeah, you know, we're going to break it all down tonight. We're going to dive deep into what happened Sunday with uh, the Jets versus the Buccaneers. We're going to do a recap. We're going to answer some questions that have been burning in the back of our minds. Uh, There was some interesting situations that occurred throughout this game that we'll briefly uh, touch into as well. Uh, We've got some injury news and uh, we have uh, some hot topics lined up for tonight and we're going to get into some talk about what's currently going on. We're going to take a glimpse down the road here too. We got a little segment that Dylan's put together as well. And then I think the biggest topic of conversation that we're really going to jump into is uh, that fourth and two play that uh, pretty much determined the outcome of the Jets' loss, uh, which was 28-24 to to the Buccaneers. Uh, would first like to start by thanking our sponsor, Miles Social, for their support. Um, if you want to get involved and get your company a larger social media presence, go to milesocial.com and see what they can do for you. That's M-I-L-E-S-O-C-I-A-L.com. Dylan, so, um, you know, 28-24 to 24 loss. Um, this was probably, in my opinion, uh, one of the best performances that we've seen from Zach Wilson. Uh, the Jets maintained a lead for majority of that game, which was completely uh, or highly irregular for what we have seen throughout the course of the year from this team. And uh, you know what? All we really could ask for is to see competitive football and to see a team that's been struggling all year uh, still show some fight uh, near the end. Now, uh, you know, clearly the Jets fell short and there was some miscommunication at the end of the game that things went awry. Uh, But I have to say, uh, I was obviously frustrated with the outcome of the game um, because it was there for us to take it. But at the end of the day, you know, seeing – what Zach Wilson was doing, that gives me some promise and some hope uh, that he is learning and developing because we were kind of confused and seeing digression earlier in the year. So I'm very, very happy about that. Uh, But Dylan, why don't you just kind of give us, you know, your honest opinion on on what you thought about how the game developed and, uh, you know, we'll save that that fourth and two for our hot topic segment. But uh, how did you see it? Yeah, I think I need to uh, eat a little bit of crow from last week when I said that this game wasn't going to be competitive because the Jets came out and pretty much smacked Tampa Bay in the mouth early. They had two easy opening drives to start the game, get 14 points, and 
I thought to myself, wow, this offense is actually fun to watch, you know, for the first time in, you know, who knows how long. I thought this was Zach Wilson's best game all season. You know, you could put it up there with the Philly game. I think it's better. His decision-making was largely on point. He was hitting players when they got open, not as the window was closing. He still made some tight window throws to a less than stellar supporting cast, let's say. He was making quick decisions. He didn't let the pressure affect him, at least early on. The second half kind of got away from them as far as pressure. They took a 24-17 to lead into the fourth quarter, which, you know, you love to see against the defending Super Bowl champions. Um, there was some pressure in Wilson's face in the second half. You know, Chuma Doga came in for George Fant, and he let up a pressure and a sack. It was the only sack that the O-line let up all game, so I thought that was really good to see, considering they had, you know, their fourth string left tackle and their backup center in. So, you know, huge pieces down on the line, and they were still able to, you know, rally the troops. Um, They had a low snap on the third down late in the fourth quarter, which ended up being a pass to Braxton Berrios, which set up the, you know, the, the, I guess, controversial fourth and two, we'll say. We'll get into Mm -hmm. that a little bit later. The run game had 150 yards. You love to see that against the third-ranked run defense in the NFL. There's games where, you know, teams just gave up on the run against Tampa Bay, and the Jets, you know, stuck with it. They hit them early, and then they continued through it, and, Ended up with 150 yards, 5.8 yards per carry. Everybody got involved. Walter had 49 yards. Ty Johnson had 35 yards. Michael Carter ended with 54 yards, but he left early in the first quarter. The Jets were three for four in the red zone, which you love to see. And then a positive trend here, the Jets were six for 11 on third down, so not not the usual three for 11 they've been the last month or so since Zach Wilson's been back which they were four for six in the first half, so they were doing great executing on uh, third down. Wilson ends the day, 234 yards, a touchdown, no interceptions, no fumbles, so a fourth game, no no interceptions. He had a slew of big-time passes. Like He had a huge pass to Kenny Yaboa, actually two of them. And then he hit Braxton Berrios for the touchdown. He hit Dan Brown on a nice block and release. He had one where he just floated it up over the defender that was coming free on him, and it turned out to be a big gain. He had some screen passes that went for long. You know, the one to Ty Johnson, there was a big uh, block by Elijah Vera Tucker on that play. So it's nice to see that that he's getting back and, you know, picking up right where he left off. And then I think everybody's talking about that Keelan Cole pass down to the one-yard line, which I was really hoping he'd get in to, you know, pad that stat line a little bit for Zach with two touchdowns. But it was a laser over the middle, right over two defenders' hands. I thought that was great. And then, you know, our guy Braxton Berrios, all i got to say is pay that man. Two total touchdowns, back-to-back drives. First Jets receiver with a rush and a receiving touchdown in a game. I believe that's Jets history. So Mm. I think he's well-deserved of that contract. And then Kenny Yaboa came up clutch with two catches. When, you know, all the tight ends were down, Dan Brown got hurt on a little boneheaded hurdle that he tried to do. So, Yabo was the next man up and made some plays. And then on defense, I thought at first it was going to be a long day. Mike Evans was getting open. Rob Gronkowski couldn't be stopped. They were kind of going after Bryce Hall a little bit. It looked like he was going to have, like, you know, his typical down – not a typical, but, you know, his, his down game that everybody was expecting early on in the season. But he held tough. They had a pretty good amount of pressure on Brady considering, you know, how 
you know, talented their offensive line was. They showed a lot of double A-gap pressures on third down. And they, they actually got a couple uh, good hits on Brady, too. I think they totaled four QB hits. Michael Carter, the second, got his first um, career interse- uh, not interception, excuse me, sack. And Brandon Eccles mm-hmm. got an interception right uh, before the half on Tom Brady, which was excellent. And then in the second half, you know, not a tale of two halves with the defense, but after the, the third and 20 conversion by the, by the Buccaneers, it was kind of a, you know, a done deal. It felt like that the defense was, you know, disheartened to let up a third and 20. They thought they were going to get off the field. And then Tampa Bay goes down and ends up getting up, getting some points and then jets can't do anything. And Tampa Bay gets the ball back and scores. So an unfortunate ending all around, but a lot of great things to come out of it. Special teams, especially, they continue to trend upward. I don't think Pinheiro missed any of his four kicks, three extra points and a 51-yarder, which I don't think yep. we've seen a Jets kicker hit a 50-plus yarder in quite some time where it actually felt good. So although, uh, you know, it's a loss, this it's a loss we expected, but this is a game that I don't think anybody would have determined that for 58 minutes the Jets would have dominated Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. Uh, I 100% agree. Great breakdown there. Uh, you know, we didn't think we had a dog in the fight. And like you said, you know, when you're the underdog and, you know, you're going in against the former Super Bowl champions, uh, if you want to catch them off guard, like you said, you have to strike first. Uh, you know, Cobra Kai style, strike first, strike hard, no mercy. And that's pretty much what the Jets did when they first came out. You know, those first two drives myself to make sure I was watching the right game. Uh, you know, I wasn't sure. Usually the game's on CBS. It was on Fox. It was like Twilight Zone. So, uh, you know, but any given Sunday, things like that can happen. Uh, you know, I was pleasantly surprised as I was, uh, you know, watching this game and, and seeing how they were maintaining that lead up until that fourth quarter. And then, you know, things slipped away. The Jets were unable to score any points in the fourth quarter. And uh, the Bucks, you know, put down 11. And uh, it was good enough for them to get a four-point lead, uh, you know. But there's a, there's just a few things that I think we have to mention that came out of this game, um, and this will just be a little bit of fun here. But uh, man, oh man, was that crazy watching Antonio Brown uh, give MetLife Stadium his mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> you know farewell? Who knows if we're ever going to see this guy come back? Um, I'm surprised it took as long as it did for to see these kind of, uh, you know, semantics coming from him. I mean, it's been nothing but, you know, drama with Antonio Brown over the last couple of years. And, uh, you know, it's his story versus the, the team story. And, and watching him almost go full Monty on the field was, uh, <laughs> was almost a little crazy. But, uh, you know, the Jets dodged a bullet there uh, because he decided to leave the game a little bit earlier than expected but that did not stop Tom Brady from testing our young defensive backs. You know, Tom distributed the ball with 34 completions on 50 attempts. He hooked up with 10 different receivers. Um, I think you said it right, death by a thousand cuts. That's what he does. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it was, it was just tough. You know, you could see the, the skill level uh, and the size and the domination of Gronk against some of our guys and, and Mike Evans kind of outmatching our corners as well. You know, I think our guys, you know, as far as the secondary was concerned, I mean, 410 yards let up, uh, that's not anything great to brag about. But, 
you know, the fact is, is that we were allowing that to happen. We held the, uh, their run game to only 62 yards, uh, but we were still in the game and the game was still ours, you know, up until that critical moment where the Jets could not convert on that fourth down play. A couple of the things that, uh, you know, I want to mention here that maybe, you know, fans may know or they did not um, realize uh, Denzel Mims had zero snaps in this game. Uh, you know, this is something I want to briefly just talk about, Dylan, because we just recently heard some coach speak the week before about Denzel Mims. The book on Denzel Mims has not been written yet. You know, that's not verbatim from Robert Sala, but that's more or less what he said. And then the next week he gets zero snaps in a lost season where this is the best time to try to develop young players. Uh, and this young man, you know, got, got zero opportunities. Uh, so the mystery of what's going on with Denzel Mims and the Jets continues to go on. Uh, Dylan, do you have any thoughts about the, the, the Mims situation there? Yeah, it's, it's a tough one because as fans, you just, you obviously want the Jets to, you know, quote, play their best players. And on paper, Denzel Mims has, you know, been a top wide receiver on this depth chart coming into the season, and everybody had such high hopes for him. So, you know, with one week left in the season, seeing no snaps and Rob Sala saying the opportunity to get him on the field didn't present itself, it's not really a, you know, a glowing endorsement. I know he said his history isn't written yet, but from the outside looking in, it, it basically looks like the, you know, the writing's on the wall for him and he'll probably be on his way out. Even though I feel like he hasn't been given, you know, the fair opportunities. But again, if, if they see something they don't like on a day-to-day basis in that facility from him, then, you know, that's something that we can't comment about or, you know, speculate about because we obviously don't know those things. So you hope he does get a chance this week. And hopefully he can make the most of his opportunities. But in 2022, I don't want to sit here and, you know, keep talking about how he's getting these, you know, benched opportunities and no snaps. It's just, it's becoming a very hard talking point because it's just a frustrating one for obviously him, but fans alike. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a complete head scratcher. Uh, You know, I didn't even really realized that until late in the game that, you know, he wasn't getting any opportunities because, you know, the Jets were winning this game and it's like, okay, right, when, is, yeah. when is this going to turn over, you know? And, um, you know, it was just pleasantly shocked. You know, I, I, I said that before and, and I'm still a little bit shocked even, you know, a few days after. But, um, you know, the, this game, you know, our players did not come out unscathed. Uh, so I'm going to just kind of go right into the, some of the injury news right now. Uh, you know, as we know, Michael Carter started off the game looking really great. Three, cower, three carries for 54 yards uh, on the day. Um, he, he had that 55-yard run, so one of them was a negative play. And then he had one solo catch. He acquired eight snaps on the day before he got a concussion and had to leave. Very, very unfortunate. Like you said, Dan Brown tried to go airborne and um, made a poor decision, ended up having to leave the game after he uh, hit the ground pretty pretty hard. Um, also, George Fant um, had to, you know, leave the game, and Chuma Adoga had to come in. Surprisingly, Adoga held his own with only one pressure, uh, I believe, as you mentioned. I think Dan Feeney ended up with a PFF rating over 90. So, surprisingly, 
the areas in which we anticipated the Jets would struggle, um, they actually did okay. Uh, they haven't been able to run the ball very well. It seems like they've put a focus into doing that now. And over the last few weeks, they've had numerous games where, you know, as a combined total, they've been over 100 yards plus. You know, I think it was around 200 and change last week, 150 this week. So, you know, almost 400 yards rushing within the last couple weeks. Um, and you can clearly see, you know, I'm patting myself on the back here, when the Jets decide to focus on running the ball, controlling the clock, and limiting the <laughs> yeah. turnovers, they find themselves playing competitive football and not, mm-hmm. you know, allowing the team to run up the score on you and forcing your hand to just becoming a pass-heavy offense. So I like that tra- that change in transition. Uh, I've been much more pleased with the game plans that LaFleur has been putting out there. You know, clearly the Jets have come out not slow to start off the game. They've been coming out, you know, firing the ball out and, and uh, moving the sticks and ending up with points. Uh, this is stuff we did not see in the first half of the season, so this is most definitely progress. Um, you know, have to mention uh, that Eccles play again. I know some one of the guys on the fan had mentioned that it was lame that uh, Eccles had asked for an autograph from Tom Brady on that interception ball. I mean, is it really, really lame to to say that you got an interception on probably the game's best quarterback? I mean, is there a better quarterback right. than Tom Brady? You know, I, I don't think so. And uh, I'm sure people could debate that, but in my mind, I think he is the best. And, you know, years from now, hopefully Brandon Eccles, when he's a grandpa with all his grandchildren, he'll be telling the story about the time he picked off the Hall of Famer. Exactly. And possibly the greatest of all time, Tom Brady. So I don't, I don't seem that to be, I don't find that to be as lame as maybe some of the guys, um, you know, other people may think. And, and that was pretty interesting. Uh, lastly here for our injury news, um, Bryce Huff, is dealing with an ankle injury. Obviously, we talked about Fant with his knee. Jamison Crowder missed this game with a calf injury, so we assume that, you know, his day-to-day are questionable for this final game against the Bills. So uh, not too much news. I haven't seen anything about transaction wires or pickups. I think we got a tackle or an offensive lineman, um, like mm-hmm. George Neat or Senate or something like that. Uh, did you catch yeah. that update, Dylan? Yeah, they claimed a, a guard. I believe his name was, yeah, Greg Sennett or Sennett. Um I'm not mm-hmm. even sure where they claimed him from, but he he played 10 games in Dallas last year, mm. and he only took three snaps offensively in those 10 games. So he's just a depth emergency player at most. But I think just like 25 minutes before we went live, the Jets tweeted out that they put George Fant, Bryce Huff, and Dan Brown all on the injury reserve. So – Unfortunately, their injuries are not going to <clears throat> allow them to be on the field for the last game of the season, which is a really tough look for George Fant because he's had a really, really strong season. And, you know, Bryce Huff just couldn't quite stay healthy this year. So it's really tough to see that. But just that came down the wire about 20 minutes before we went live. So I figured you might have missed that one. Yeah, I was uh, trying to catch up on some of the press conferences as I normally try to do and squeeze those in mm-hmm. uh, before we go live in case if there's any nuggets out there that we need to speak about. And I'm looking at the tweet right now. I'm going to go ahead and uh, 
put that one out the Jets there. Also, so that is, um, the Jets also still mm-hmm. have 12 total players on COVID-19 reserve list, three on the practice squad, and then nine from the active roster. Um, I'll just read the list down still. Tevin Coleman, Jared Davis, <clears throat> Ryan Griffin, <clears throat> excuse me, Tyler Croft, Zane Lewis, Elijah Moore, Sherrod Neesman, Kyle Phillips, and Quinnen Williams all still have yet to clear the COVID protocol. So not sure what their statuses are for Sunday, but that'll be uh, something to monitor. Absolutely. Um, man, that, that's unfortunate. I would have liked to have seen a few of those players get, get the nod for, for the last Definitely. game of the year. Um, I don't think we're going to be playing spoiler or anything like that for the Bills, but, uh, you know, we they're AFC East rival. And, you know, we, we, we have to do – we have to make it rougher than we have to make it tough. We can't just lay down and uh, give them an easy right. win going, in, going into the playoffs here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we definitely want to see them coming out, firing out on all cylinders. Uh, just going through the notes here, um, taking a look at some of the defensive players that stood out from this game. You know, C.J. Mosley continues – um, being the man on fire on defense, he, he ended the day with a total of 13 tackles, which was the team high. Uh, Bryce Hall was quite active, and uh, they went his way very, very often in this game. He ended up with nine total tackles and two pass deflections. Uh, tough, tough play um, near the end of the game, uh, giving up that touchdown uh, to, what was his name, Cyril Grayson. Uh, yep. You know, they, they basically were pulling everybody off the bottom end of the, the roster from Tampa. We even got to see a couple ex-Jets and Bashad Perriman, who made a couple plays, and uh, also Le'Veon Bell, um, who apparently scored another two-point conversion in the same end zone that he did in his, uh, I guess, opening game against the Bills that you know, a couple years ago, which is... I heard that from somebody, and I was like, okay, that's kind of bizarre, but also uh, pretty interesting. Yeah. So I wasn't sure if, you know, they were going to try to feature Bell to, uh, you know, kind of stick it to us a little bit. Um, but, you know, he did go out there. He had a few touches. He had a few catches. Um, not a huge, huge impact. But, uh, you know, he was pretty excited when he got to uh, score that two-point conversion. So, yeah, a little bit of our path coming coming to see us. But, uh, you know, Carter, as you mentioned, I think he played a really good game. Um, you know, first career sack. Um, Quincy Williams was all over the field. Uh, for Lorenzo Fadukasi, good to see him coming back and making some plays behind the line of scrimmage. I definitely feel that, you know, the time that he missed this, this Jets defense, um, you know, was, was hurting significantly as far as mm-hmm. creating that pressure up the middle. Uh, and seeing him back in there was definitely good. Um, just taking a quick look to see if I missed anybody. Uh, we mentioned Pinheiro. He's one of my new favorite players because this guy seems to be uh, lights out, unlike some of the previous kickers that we have. And, uh, yeah, okay, Dylan, I think we're going to have to start migrating over into our hot topics uh, for the evening. And... Um, Man, so where should we start? Should we just basically start with how we feel about that fourth quarter situation and that fourth and two play? Um, I have it written down here. Yeah, let's get uh, right into did, it. Did Lafleur and Sala make the right call 
should they have taken the points is what my notes are written here. So, Dylan, I'm going to throw it your way. How did you feel about that that particular scenario? Did you like the call to go forward on fourth and two? Do you think the Jets should have taken the points? And, um, you know, how did you feel about the outcome? So, I love the decision to go for it. I don't know if it was the quote-unquote right call because obviously it failed, and I think that's a little bit, you know, blamed to be spread around there. But I think it was the correct decision to go for it. I don't think settling for a field goal would have really made a difference. I think, if anything, all that would have done was possibly ensure overtime versus Tom Brady, which in that scenario, if he gets the ball first, the game's most likely over anyway. So I think the decision to go for it was the correct one. And to take the field goal only would have made it seven. So they went down and got the two-point conversion anyway. So I think regardless if we kick the field goal or not, that was the correct decision to at least try for it. Yeah, you know, at the time I was screaming, um, take the points, take the points, take the points. And uh, obviously at, at that point in time I was frustrated because they didn't. And then the call looked very, very bizarre. Mm-hmm. point in time I, I was unaware of you know the situation with the communication we came, we came to find out in the press conference that there was a communication breakdown um, in the huddle delivering the play to Zach Wilson uh, I guess you know off the playbook it, that particular play is an option where the quarterback in a short yard situation can sneak it um, or you know, on the uh, jet sweep or the end around, whatever it was called, to Braxton Berrios was the play. And they wanted the ball to be in Berrios's hands. He's been the hottest player on the offense over the last month. He was rolling hot that, that day particularly as well. And, uh, you know, if he does get the ball, I think that's an easy first down. And I think that's possibly a touchdown, which seals the game as well. So, this is one of those scenarios, had it worked, great call, um, you know, great decision. The fact that it didn't now leads the discussion of, you know, what are these guys doing over there? Why did they do that? Um, you know, you're giving the ball back to Tom Brady, you know, with a, with a few minutes left on the clock. And obviously we know how – we've seen that movie so many times with Tom Brady – uh, right. Yeah. It's a little. It's a little crazy to think that he wouldn't have scored uh, in that scenario. You know, he ends up leading this like phenomenal. Uh, I think it was like an eight or nine play drive, and uh, seals the game on us. So uh, very, very frustrating. Uh, you know, at the point in time, uh, I was saying take the points uh, because it's almost automatic that Tom Brady will go down the field and score. But uh, I understand, you know, let's not try to win the game in fourth in, in overtime because, like you said, if Tampa gets the ball, you know, you might as well just, you know, turn out the lights and, and, and warm up the car and get ready to go home. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, you know, you, you, you convert there, you run the clock, you possibly score, and then uh, it is our game and it's pretty much sealed at that point. So I do understand being aggressive. You know, people say, you know, you're 4-11, and 11, what do you got to lose at this point? Um, why not go forward in that situation? So I understand that as well. 
Um, I just at the while I was watching the game, I was just saying, just take the points here, just take the points here, and and live to fight another day. But uh, you know, clearly that that's not the way that this played out. And uh, you know, now there's there were some sentences that were that came out of the press conference from Robert Sala that people have been dissecting and trying to dive deep in and, and find inner meaning on. And, um, you know, he, he, he did say, you know, the coaching staff, uh, which I believe is himself included, uh, needed to do a better job communicating and being better in that particular situation. Uh, did you at all feel like Sala was, you know, more or less throwing Zach Wilson or Mike LaFleur under the bus in that scenario? I don't know if I would necessarily classify it as throwing them under the bus. I think, if anything, he was more trying to put the blame on on the communication so that the media themselves didn't necessarily go out and attack Zach Wilson for a decision that ultimately he made because he decided to keep it on the on the option play. But at the same time, I think, you know, Rob Sala has to say those types of things because – the coaching is what's going to be the first, you know, line of defense when it comes to the the media and their questioning. They always have to protect the players. So I think some of the blame is owed on Mike LaFleur. Some of the blame is owed on Zach Wilson. But, no, I don't think I'd say Mm -hmm. Solid necessarily threw them under the bus because at the end of the day, you know, he has the ultimate decision, but he also has to be the one to to fall on the sword at the end when – you know, Rich Zamini and Brian Costello come, you know, come with their questions. So it's always a tough situation, but I think he tried to handle it the best way he could. Yeah, he, he definitely seemed uh, rather emotional and, and agitated, and the guys on the beat just kept asking right. the same question over and over in different ways, mm-hmm. and I understand how frustrating that can be, um, you know, with and giving the same response and end result. So that that's definitely frustrating, and uh, – you know, Bart Scott um, kind of made an alarming call, and, you know, it's funny how, like, we love him and then and then we despise him and we hate him. And I, I don't think Bart Scott has a lot of uh, fans this week with some of the comments that he made about our quarterback. Uh, more or less what he had said is that uh, the fact that Zach Wilson decided to keep the ball and not hand it off to his best offensive player um, reflects his character more or less. And that was a selfish call um, that Wilson had made. Uh, I, and there was a particular thing that he had said. Um, um, he's a be me, me guy or, you know, the, this is kind of like what the character flaws that Zach Wilson has is more or less that he was saying, which I found pretty, pretty interesting. Um, you know, uh, I, don't, I don't perceive that kind of mentality with Zach Wilson, you know, all these young kids think they're superstars, so they all have egos. That's 100%. But I don't feel like Zach Wilson was trying to be selfish in that, that play. Like, you know, I saved the game. You know, everybody come come praise me now. Uh, I just think that in, he hasn't been in that situation all year. Um, you know, he obviously is one of the most important players on the offense, and Every, a lot that he does determines on whether or not we win or lose games. And uh, in that particular scenario, Dylan, you know, you were looking at the lineup and, and how everything was, how Tampa was lining up in that particular scenario and the A-gap did present himself. I think in a fourth and inches situation, that's not a bad call. Uh, 
but being, you know, fourth and two, I mean, those are some long mm-hmm. yards, um, two yards, you know, larger than it sounds when you say it. And uh, the kid made a mistake. Um, that's all that we could really say about this one. And uh, this is probably going to be something that he's going to learn from. And this will be something that I think the coaching staff is going to, to have to learn from. A, we really, really need to make sure that in a situation like that, when you have all your timeouts to your favor, that you get the play right and that everybody's on the same page. So, you know, we can chalk that one up to coaching. We can chalk that one up to uh, a rookie making a mistake. And we've anticipated plenty of those this year. We've seen plenty of those. Uh, So not surprising that, you know, the Jets find a way not to finish the game here. And, uh, but, uh, you know, to say selfish and and things like that, I I don't think that's the case. I think everyone's kicking themselves, you know, the coaching staff and and the players in that situation, um, knowing that they had the game in their hands and it slipped right through. Um, You know, not to mention the defense was unable to stand their ground and they let up some big plays at the end as well. So uh, it was a collective, um, you know, loss is, is the way that I'm seeing it. And, uh, you know, I really can't get too, too upset, uh, you know, with them. They tried to be aggressive. Um, that's what they tried to do. It didn't work out. Uh, and, you know, things unraveled at the end, which is unfortunate. But to say he's selfish, uh, I really, really can't get down with that. And, and I wholeheartedly disagree with Bart Scott's take on that. But, you know, that's what these guys do. They have their takes. They, they put these comments mm-hmm. out there, and, and then we take them, and you either accept it, you, you like it, you hate it, or you dislike it, or perhaps you even agree. Um, and, and there may be people that, you know, disagree um, with the way that this game unfolded, and, and maybe they're still a little sore about it. Completely possible. But I have to say that, Zach Wilson's play over this last month has been absolutely uh, phenomenal. Uh, He went into another game without a turnover. I mean, we were talking about a player who had nine interceptions in his first five games, and now, uh, what is he on, seven games now? In these last seven games, he's had two interceptions, and I don't think he's had any in the last two or three games. So that, to me, is progress. And mm-hmm. that's exactly what I wanted. Yes, he hasn't thrown interceptions since the Philadelphia game, which was another one of his uh, better games that he had this season. And, uh, yeah, that's that's four games in a row without a turnover. So I'm completely fine with the way that the young man is playing. And uh, if we were to take anything from this, I think we have to say that he he was doing this with practice squad guys and fourth thing fourth string and third string guys and, you know, guys that we were getting from the scrap heap. Imagine, you know, with a healthy, you know, strong offensive line and Corey Davis and a healthy Elijah Moore in the mix, uh, that gives me, you know, some excitement. Um, And I don't know how you feel about that or, you know, if you want to chime in here, Dylan, and, you know, just, you know, give your your point of view on Zach's play over the last few weeks, um, you know, go for it. Yeah, first, I think Bart Scott using the word selfish, to describe how the ending of that game happened was pretty off base. I'm not. I, I'm not going to say I've listened to every single Zach Wilson press conference that he's put out, 
but I've listened to some even before he was drafted at BYU Sports Nation, and he's always handled the media super, you know, respectfully, and he's never, you know, shown that he's able to, like, you know, you can get under his skin. He's always been very even keel. So I think the word selfish was, was pretty pretty off base. I think he could use the word boneheaded, and it would fit better. I still don't think it would be accurate, but I think – the word selfish was just so far from what I expected, especially from people that, you know, ex-Jets that are talking on a Jets platform to say, I really didn't think that that was the the proper choice of words. He's a young kid. He was presented with an option play. He saw the look. We talked about it last week that a lot of these play calls in the Mike LaFleur system are based off look, whether it's full full field, half field, defensive line, you know, safety shell, like everything comes into play. And this is exactly right up that alley. It's a short yardage call based off look. And Zach Wilson got the look. His exact quote was, I got the play call, liked it. It had two different options. I had an open A gap, but unfortunately came up short. He said he feels like he did what was necessary to do and that it's always easy to say if he hands it off, it's a first down. But then if Barrios gets stuffed, it's like, why didn't you take the A gap? So it's very clear that Zach Wilson is not going to let the the media's perception of the ending of that game take away from the fact that he balled out and for 58 minutes pretty much carried a practice squad team against the Super Bowl champions. So, yeah, selfish is not the right word. And as far as Zach goes the past month, yeah, I mean, everything has just been trending upward in the right direction. I'm not going to say everything's perfect, but he's definitely playing better within the offense. He's not making the mistakes like you talked about. Since the Philadelphia game, which was five games ago, he has 934 yards, four passing touchdowns, only one interception. And then he has a bunch of rushing yards as well. He has about 150 rushing yards and three rushing touchdowns as well. So seven total touchdowns to one interception and one fumble. I'll take that for the last five games of his rookie season coming off an injury on a team that was absolutely depleted of, you know, talent all across the board. So, yeah, I think he's performing well, probably one of the best rookies down the stretch. Mac Jones obviously has been playing well all season, and Davis Mills has had his, you know, spurts with 300-yard games. But I think Zach Wilson this past month, a little bit more than a month, has been the most consistent rookie quarterback as of date. Definitely. All right. So we've gone through some of the hot topics here. And, Dylan, we are going to migrate to to the segment that that you put together here. And this is making a case for the Jets to coach the Senior Bowl. I know this is something that's been burning on your mind. So I am going to throw the ball to you, my man. And uh, please, this is the Dylan segment of the Jets should be coaching the senior bowl go for it you know i really wish i kept some some kind of receipt like a screenshot of me saying whether on twitter or even in a text message conversation that my expectation was for the jets to be in contention to coach the senior bowl and you know unfortunately it's here and you know we're living it but we have to make the most of it so i put together a small list of things and i even tweeted it at jim nagy so he he actually liked one of the comments on the tweet, so I'm glad that he was able to see it. 
but I compiled a little list of things that I I did a little bit of research. And according to Rich Domini, the Jets haven't coached the Senior Bowl since 1979. Coincidentally, that's where they found Mark Gastineau. Everybody knows how that went down. He's a Jets legend. So I think, you know, over, what is that, 42 years of not coaching the Senior Bowl, I think that alone, you know, should put us near the top of the list. Uh, We've doubled our win total from last season to this season, and you can laugh because last year we only had two wins, but I'll take it. It sounds good on paper. You doubled your wins. So I think that's a good thing for the Jets at going in a positive direction year one under a new coaching staff. They currently own nine draft picks including two in the first round, which likely will end up in the top 10 based off uh, Seattle's poor play. And we have four in the top 40, thanks to Carolina trading us two, four, and a six for Sam Darnold to go out there and play like, like Sam Darnold. So the Jets have a ton of draft capital that they could use on these senior bowl players to, you know, say, hey, we drafted these guys with our top 40 pick because we went down to Mobile and we worked with them and they were great players and they might've been third round projections that end up going in the second round because they create a bond with these players. So you never know. And that brings me into my next point, which part of this coaching staff has been to Mobile back in 2019 with the San Francisco 49ers. They were coming off a really down year and they ended up going to the Senior Bowl. They worked with Trevon Wesco. They've talked about that numerous times in press conferences LaFleur has. And then they ended up going from Senior Bowl to Super Bowl. And I'm not saying the Jets should follow that direct path, but if they can do it, it's not impossible. So I think that's a good step. And then if you look at the teams in front of us, it's the Lions, the Jaguars, and the Texans. The Lions went in 2020 – So two years ago under Matt Patricia, and I believe that was the year they fired Matt Patricia three-quarters of the way through the season, so not a good look there. The the Jaguars are ineligible because they are not retaining their head coach, and that's one of the minimum requirements. So them firing Urban eliminates them from contention. And then the Texans did it back in 2018 against the Broncos, and generally the senior bowl – has been, you know, of recent history, an AFC and an NFC team. But you go back to 2018, and it was two AFC teams, one being the Texans. So I think the fact that they've done it in the past five years alone and for the Lions two years ago, I think that should, you know, propel the Jets up the board, and they should be sitting in one of the top spots to, to be able to go down to Mobile, coach the Senior Bowl, and really get a, a hands-on look at this draft class because – You know, the Jets, they need it, essentially. The the draft class has looked good for 2021. Uh, Obviously, pieces of it looked good for 2020. And you can chalk it up to however you like, Joe Douglas making bad picks or him just following the coaching staff that's no longer in place. So you can place the blame wherever Mm -hmm. when it comes to that. But the Jets have draft picks, and so far it seems like they have a competent group of people that can make use of these draft picks. So I think – the senior bowl should be, you know, something that the Jets could take extreme advantage of. And I wholeheartedly agree. Uh, I think it's our time to do so. And I think that, you know, the NFL has got to start pulling for the Jets here. I think sports is always better when Mm -hmm. New York is involved. And I'm biased because I'm, you know, grew up in Jersey and I currently live in New York, but, 
tell me a situation where if a New York team is not involved, whether it's hockey with the Islanders or the Rangers, people are all excited. You know, Feeney and company were over there busting beers over their head. It was it was just fun. I, I don't even watch hockey, but I'm paying attention because the Jets are involved and New York's involved. And, you know, the Rangers mm-hmm. are a good team this year. And, you know, my dad likes hockey too. And, I'm, like I said, I'm not a big hockey guy. They got him a Ranger hat for Christmas this year because that's a team that he feels is, is you know, going to be relevant. And, mm-hmm. you know, when the Knicks are, you know, when the Nets are relevant, I'm watching hoops, and I'm not really a hoops guy either. So, you right. know, it's time to get these New York teams involved because the Jets have stunk, the Giants stink. You know, Buffalo Bills are the best <sighs> New York team, but people still don't even recognize them as a New York team. I can't tell you how many people forget that New York has three football teams because people just think Buffalo is like in Canada or something. Um, right. <laughs> you know, I get it. You could throw a rock to the border, but, uh, you know, I was even goofed that question years ago as a kid. And, you know, I was adamant that there was only two New York teams. And, you know, when I, when they broke the news to me about Buffalo, I felt pretty dumb, but uh, yeah, it's time to get, you know, New York involved. I, I think we should, be one of the top teams that should be invited to, to coach that game. And yes, it obviously gives the Jets a little bit of an edge to get a hands-on look at some of these players. And, uh, you know, not a lot of people tune into those games, but I'm sure if the Jets are involved, you'll, you'll see a, a much higher attendance rating with views than probably recent years. Uh, Cause the mm-hmm. New York market is that big. So, right. You know, I'm seeing mock drafts coming out left and right over the last 24 hours. I've yet to do one myself. I'm holding out as long as I possibly can because I know that we have an entire off-season to do this thing. And, you know, it ends up becoming one of those things to where I have to do a mock draft before I go to bed. So I'm dreaming of, you know, about new football players playing (laughs) for uh, the Jets here. So I don't want to run myself ragged too early with the uh, the off season and yeah, you can get burned we, will, we will get there eventually. Uh, oh, I mean, you know, and, and we could talk ball for days. That's one thing that I know you and I can do, but you yeah. know, we don't want to bore the listeners every week talking about, you know, Joe Hutchinson from Iowa state or whomever, you know, um, I just made that yep. up. So don't go look that guy <laughs> yeah. up. Uh, <laughs> but Dylan, I'm taking a look at the clock here. We've got about 13 and a half minutes. So, um, Let's uh, do a little preview for the Jets' final season of the game. Man, that kind of that kind of hit right in the chest a little bit, saying the final year. I mean, right. you know, we were getting to the point to where people were doing the just end the season, you know, after mm-hmm. loss after loss and tough week after tough week. And now the Jets are finally starting to look like a, a balanced football team somewhat. And uh, we only get one more game to see of our team. So um, we are near the end. And uh, that is a little sad, but, uh, you know, that's what happens. Clearly the Jets need to do better so that we're talking about, you know, who we're going to be playing on, you know, wild card Saturday or whatever that, you know, weekend is called or, you know. Mm -hmm. I think one day we will. It's just not going to be anytime soon or at least not, you know, in 2022. So, mm-hmm. AFC East rival and the number one team in the AFC East, the Buffalo Bills coming up. Uh, the Bills kind of went through a little bit of a stint. They weren't playing very well. They had a stinker and lost to Jacksonville. 
the week before mm-hmm. us, and then they kind of got their stuff together and, and, and whooped our tail. Uh, they looked really good against a bad Atlanta team last week. Uh, I shared a tweet with you about Devin Singletary running for over, you know, 100-something yards, and he had a couple scores. So uh, the Jets are going to have their hands full. Uh, I think you said it. They're going up against a, a run-heavy team with a defense that, hasn't been playing well against the run, with exception to the 62 yards against the Bucks last week. Uh, so how do you feel about, you know, this game here? You know, I, I don't foresee us winning this game. Um, but now, after seeing this last game, I do feel that we may be a little bit more competitive than we think. Yeah, I agree. And first off, I think the coolest part about this game, obviously there's an extra game onto the season, which I think makes this, this feat a little bit harder, but the Jets have a, a small chance to go and uh, be be part of history entering this game. They have three rookies that are leading <clears throat> in the three major offensive categories. Zach Wilson is the passing leader with 2,247 yards, which is 1,300 more than Mike White, so he's clearly going to get that. Michael Carter is the leading rusher with 620 yards, and the next highest is Tevin Coleman, so he's going to get that. And then Elijah Moore, his status for Sunday is still up in the air, but he has 538 receiving yards, which is the most on the team. And Berrios and Crowder have the next highest at 431. So either one of Berrios and Crowder, if Crowder plays, would need 107 yards to pass Elijah Moore. And if they don't, then those three rookies will be the first three rookies to lead in all offensive categories since the 68 Bills and the 2012 Browns. So they'd only be the third, you know, group of rookies in history to ever do that. So I think that's really cool that they have an opportunity to do that, given all the, you know, the negativity and the downs of this year. I think it'd be cool to end on a positive and I also think that's more ammo to say, hey, Joe Douglas does a good job drafting. Let's let's get these, you know, young kids into the senior bowl and, you know, this young coaching staff on, you know, looking at these draft prospects. But going back into the game with the Bills, the first thing I had to write down was that they moved the game time from 1 to 425. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure yep. how most fans feel about that, but I absolutely hate it. When the Jets play at 425, I get so invested in the – a one o'clock games that I forget that, you know, our inactives come out and the next thing you know, the Jets are about to kick off and I'm like, Oh no, I didn't, you know, I didn't prepare myself. I don't yep, like that. Yep. It's 425, but the bills do have a chance to clinch the AFC East and that's why they flex the game so that, you know, the bills have more <clears throat> of a prime time slot. The bills are 10 and six <clears throat> overall on the season falling a 29 to 15 win over the Falcons and it didn't look all that great against the Falcons. I believe they were playing in the snow, so I'm not sure how much of the elements had to do with it. But Atlanta hung around for a little bit. You mentioned it, though. Devin Singletary popped, and he had 110 yards and two scores. I think Josh Allen had a, a rushing score or two as well. So this is a very physically you know, dominant team in the trenches. They love to run the ball, even with Josh Allen. So being a bottom, you know, three bottom five team against the run this year, despite having a good game against the Bucks, is not a good recipe for the Jets to win this. Uh, Joe Douglas, you know, still winless in the AFC East, 0-11, still looking for that, that first victory. And then I took down a couple stats about the Bills team. We pretty much know the roster with Allen, 
Singletary, Diggs. I believe Emmanuel Sanders is a little hurt. He might not even play. Mm -hmm. But they're loaded with talent on both sides of the ball. So they're first in total defense, first in pass defense, 19th in run defense. They're fifth in total offense, 10th in passing, 6th in rushing. So both sides of the ball, they're absolute machines. And then I looked at third down conversion rate because that's the area that the Jets seem to struggle, in my opinion. And they are fourth in offense on converting. They convert at a 46.6% rate, which is, you know, really good. And their second defense allowing a conversion rate of only 325 And then you compare that to the Jets where they're 20th on offense converting at about 38% and 29th on defense. So a lot of the, the formulas don't really go in the way of the Jets. I still think, like you said, they have a chance to be competitive, especially after last week going against a superior team and, you know, showing that grit for, let's say, 58 and a half minutes. So I think if we can, you know, copy and paste that effort and that collective team, you know, I guess just, you know, collective team effort, I think that this will be a close game. I obviously don't know if – I don't think the Jets will win. But if we win, the Patriots win the AFC East. If we lose, the Bills win the AFC East. Kind of a double-edged sword. I'd still rather win, go out on top, and, you know, kind of play spoiler to the Bills draft seating or uh, playoff seating. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I was going through some of the injury news for their team. Their list is not as extensive, and it's a little bit harder to find, uh, or at least for me, for tonight's show. But uh, they did have a couple injuries. It looks like Ryan Bates, their um, offensive guard, is dealing with a knee injury, injury, so he's questionable going into the game. Uh, They do have – so it doesn't look like they're going to be completely banged up. Uh, I guess what we, we kind of have to hope for is that the Bills kind of come into this game a little bit half asleep the way that the Bucks did, and, and we kind of surprise them a little bit early and, and keep them on mm-hmm. their heels. Um, kind of the same kind of recipe that you had against the, the Bucks. Just try to get a, an early advantage, if at all possible. You know, I'm not really too sure. Uh, you know, how we match up. It doesn't look very, very favorable for us, but none of these recent games have, and and the Jets have been playing surprisingly better than anticipated. So uh, I guess we can assume that that may happen again. Uh, I I still feel that the Jets will fall short, uh, but, you know, at this point, like you said, go in there, compete, fight, whatever you got to do to scrap. Uh, You know, the Jets had only two penalties last week which is, like, remarkable. I think we average, like, six to eight penalties a game. So the fact oh, yeah. that they're cleaning up that aspect of their play as well, that that's really, really solid. So, you know, try to go in there and, and, you know, pitch a perfect game. You know, Zach Wilson, I really would like to see him go into this game and finish the season without any turnovers in his last few games. I think that that would be very, very uh, positive for – not only the fan base, but for himself, you know, being able to, you know, flip the script, per se, uh, on his uh, first half of the season compared to the second half. Uh, you know, I want to want to see them continue to attempt to run the ball as much as they can. You know, you brought up some good stats there and rankings. The Bills are a solid team on um, both sides of the ball. So 
they're really going to have their hands full. But I, I would like to see them spread the ball around. Uh, I would like to see Denzel Mims play, but, you know, according to last week, I don't know if that's going to happen. So uh, mm-hmm. we will be monitoring if, if number 11 gets any opportunities. Uh, just still, I, this is just going to be one of those things. And I'm, I'm a big Denzel Mims fan, have been since the draft. And, you know, it almost feels like, yep. why me? You know, but it's really not me. It's it's for him than anything. So that's just my ego. But uh, I would definitely like to see them, you know, incorporate as many players as they can. And, you know, those quick decisions um, that we've been seeing from Wilson, uh, not holding on the ball too long, continue mm-hmm. that, that process with that mental clock in your head. Uh, definitely need to see that because the Bills will pin their ears back and dial up the pressure as well. Uh and obviously come out of this game as healthy as possible. Really don't want to see any alarming, you know, injury news, you know, in our final game. So go in there mm-hmm. and eat, you know, ball out. Um, I would like to see someone emerge, you know, and, and do something that we haven't seen. You know, maybe Elijah Moore gets healthy and, and comes out and, and has a game, or um, maybe we finally see something from Akeelan Cole or Brandon Bat. Uh, Braxton Berrios continues his hot streak and maybe he finds the end zone again for the third week in a row. That would be very cool. Um, but yeah, you know, this is a good test. It's a good final test uh, as the, you know, the Bills have, you know, good tight end and, and Dawson Knox and they have Cole Beasley, who's a good vet. They've got Diggs, who's a, a good player. Uh, and then Gabriel Davis has been running hot. So, you know, Eccles and Hall, Ashton Davis, you know, these guys uh, are really going to have to play solid football, not to uh, let up big explosive plays. And uh, I know that's something that Bryce Hall had mentioned in his short uh, press conference after the game, you know, got to do better on, on letting up big plays and those big explosive plays. So, you know, hopefully the Jets are able to clean up some of those little mistakes that they made from the previous week. Um, Dylan, it's uh flown by. That's an hour right there. Um, we're at the uh, one minute mark here. And uh, we're coming down to the wire. Um, but yeah, you know what I'd really like to see? I really would like to see some more of those tight window throws because man, Zach was really slinging it at certain points in this. Oh, game. yeah. Uh, that little sidearm throw that he made to Berrios over the middle and throwing a dot to Yaboa with three defenders in the, in the vicinity. Uh, you know, those are the plays that we saw from BYU in that uh, 2020 season that we were not seeing in the beginning of the year. And now that we're yep. starting to see a little bit of that, you know, you, you can't help but get excited. Um, mm-hmm. I'm hoping it's not, and I'm going to go back into our past here. Uh, I remember this game that Sam Darnold had against Aaron Rodgers, and we ended up losing the game, but he played one heck of a game. and. He had a QBR yeah. over 100, and everybody hung their head. I'm kind of hoping it's not one of those scenarios where mm-hmm. it was just kind of a fluke. Um, so this week will definitely be an opportunity for Wilson and company to say last week wasn't a fluke. And it just wasn't that, you know, we were lucky uh, going against Tom Brady the GOAT and the former Super Bowl champion Bucks, um, and just caught them off guard. Uh, I'd very much like to see the same outcome against the Bills. Um but yeah, any last thoughts uh, before we wrap up on the on the show for this week, Dylan? 
Yeah, I agree. I, I don't want to see them, I guess, lay down against the Bills and, you know, start planning their vacations a week early. I really want to see them come out strong, you know, maybe a little bit of fires, you know, burning under them from what happened in the Bucks loss, and they carry that mm-hmm. aggression and, and momentum with them into this game, and they can still come out hot because – the last thing I want to see is, you know, Josh Allen and the Bills roll all over us for, you know, a 37 to 10 type, you know, loss. That's just the sour taste going into the off season you don't want. So definitely continue on this positive, positive upswing that Zach Wilson and the offense are taking. And, and hopefully, you know, we'll put up some points this week. Absolutely. And, you know, I was curious because I was looking at C.J. Mosley's numbers. Um, so this will be the last egg of the night here. But for those of you who do not know, C.J. Mosley is currently with 155 total tackles this year and uh, currently fifth overall with all, all the linebackers in the league or possibly defensive players in the league um, with 155 total tackles. So I guess, you you know, you'd have to anticipate that Mosley's probably going to have another d- double-digit performance, and maybe he cracks the top three um, as far as defensive right. players and linebackers are concerned this year. So another He's thing also that, actually, you know, we should be looking at. I'm glad you mentioned that because I had this in my notes and I forgot to mention it. He's second most tackles in Jets history behind Jonathan Velma. He needs 18 total tackles to break the record, so I'm not quite sure he'll do that. He'd really have to, wow. you know, be everywhere on the field, but he'll come close to breaking it. And I think, you know, anybody that thinks C.J. Mosley's paid too much, I think at this point we could put that to bed. And he's worth every dollar that the Jets have paid him from a locker room standpoint and from the on-field standpoint. Absolutely. You, you asked me earlier in the season when the Jets were, were stinking it up. Um, I would say that the Jets need to walk away from that contract in 2022 season. Uh, but now kind of looking at this scenario here, um, I, I don't know if they can, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So he did miss a game this year. I just wanted to do a quick count on how many yep, games he, had he it competed he in. He if he played had all 18 and, games, and, he would have made it. Yeah, for sure. And that also kind of shows you on how awesome Vilma was because now right. we're in, you know, a 17-game schedule rather than a 16-game schedule. And mm-hmm. Vilma still has the lead on him with a missed game in uh, in a 16-game season. So, yeah, Vilma was a lot of fun to watch uh, when, you know, he was leading our defense way back when when I was uh, – I wonder if I was still in high school then. Who knows? But, uh, Dylan, I wish you a good week. Yeah. <laughs> we, we were pretty young, so who knows? If yeah. you were 10, then, yeah, I definitely was probably out of high school at that time causing some mischief. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we got we got one more uh, show before the end of the season. And, uh, you know, we'll cover the Bucks. We'll probably do – I don't know how we're going to do this. We're going to have to try to reach out to Glenn and maybe try to do, like, an end-of-season uh, you know, yeah. review, and maybe we could get a little roundtable discussion with the three of us together just to talk about, Definitely. you know, we go through the weeks and, you know, we can each uh, kind of give our takes on the first, second, third, and fourth quarter of the season. And, you know, we'll talk about, you know, players that the Jets should target um, to sign or re-sign for next season. And and then, uh, obviously, we're going to have to, you know, kickstart the uh, the off-season conversation, which 
it's going to be a long stretch before we get to April, but um, we got to do it. So, everybody, thank you for tuning in to uh, another episode of Jet Nation Radio. Uh, please don't forget to go to JetNation.com. Uh, you have to check out our forums, number one fan forum in the NFL. Uh, download the app. Check out our YouTube scene. We've got a lot of stuff going on over there as well. Uh, so please do not miss out. This is Alex Morello signing off for Dylan Terriman. Thank you, everybody. Good luck. And as usual, let's go Jets. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Jet Nation Radio. Glenn is at AceFan23, and Alex is at NYJetsLife24. Until next time, go Jets.